Slip Disc Back Chat Podcast with Rainer Hirsch and Norman Lebrecht. So, hey, welcome back to Back Chat, which is the podcast of Slip Disc. My name is Rainer Hirsch. I'm Norman Lebrecht. What kind of week have you had? Norman? Pretty miserable. I, I've actually hardly got out to anything because um, it's just been a rush of meetings and a couple of memorial services and you know it's that it's that time of year oh. where mortality creeps in and yeah. uh, there was just one concert i wanted to go to which was um love Chani doing marla six with the philharmonia and then i thought time is short and i'll wait to hear him do it with one of his own orchestras rather than somebody dropping into london on short rehearsal and getting through it so, and, and yeah. it being marla six symphony by the way can i just say i <laughs> I have. I went on Tuesday to the Messiah. It's the Ooh, Messiah season. Did you sing? I didn't sing, um, though I have sung. Thank mm-hmm. you for mentioning that. I um, saw a performance at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, long time since I've been there, of a kind of groovy Messiah, which was a mixture of um, English Chamber Orchestra, or English Chamber, as they were listed in the programme. I wonder if that's a new look for them. Uh, London Symphony They could just about fit pot at the end of it, but then thought it wasn't appropriate. <laughs> and then... Um, and there was soloist who sung from memory, came on looking like characters from Pirates of the Caribbean, not making that up. There was poetry interpolated. Um, there were dancers on the stage, all together. Spe- and of course, not the whole, you know, ruddy messiah, needless to say, bits of it cut. So sort of presented in a way slightly more accessible. All grand, all very interesting, all very stimulating, didn't actually work, but I enjoyed it very much. You do. I mean, what's not to enjoy in Messiah? Did you ever do a Messiah from scratch? No. Do you know those huge things they did at the Albert Hall? Yeah. Where some people were so enthusiastic, they actually made their own instruments at home and played them in, and and people sang from all corners of the Albert Hall. It was tremendously was uplifting. Was that singers? Was that the playing the and singing? Play, no, well, I didn't see anybody in the orchestra singing, but that's no. probably because they were concentrating so hard no, on but the, were the, the were home. They, were they also scratching? Have you ever played a homemade oboe? No. No, exactly. I, not easy. It's, it's you not need go there. It takes all your concentration <laughs> and you can't sing at the same time. But the best thing, I think the biggest chorus was comforty my people so everybody went out and had a good cuppa. <laughs> well, I have to say the one there was a lot of there was musical decisions I didn't like as well apart from all this grand thing and the poetry which didn't quite work. But and the poetry people looked like they are not making it up. Two guys, a man and a woman, looked like they they'd escaped from Mad Max. Uh, do you remember those movies? What? In you know dystopian world, and they came on with this long dialogue monologue. I don't know what the hell. It didn't What's work. wrong with the Book of Isaiah? Uh, is I'm not sure that's what it was. Oh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, so they uh, all in all grand, but the, there were some great choruses in there. You know, it's such they, a good um, scene. You know, and uh, they. Some of them done really well, but not altogether a no. success. Anyway, I've got some hints for what I thought we might talk about. Here, here's one. Right, well, that people in the UK will recognise that as the Channel 4 News theme. It's actually a piece called Best Endeavours by a guy called Adam Hawkshaw. But I will get on to why I have uh, interpolated him. I like that word, interpolated. I thought it was by Julian Anderson, who won the Gravemeyer Prize this week. That's, I think it's way Which before is... his time and a way to... Did I say the word tuneful out loud? Mm, I think I did. Here, here's another one. That is, of course, 
huge success of somebody somewhere in the world. Massive applause. Most, most importantly, no booing, basically, which I thought which mm. would be the relevant thing. Mm. That uh, would be the reception in Milton Keynes for news that Julian Anderson had won the Gravamite Prize. Is that where he lived? I don't know. <laughs> Why Milton Keynes then? <laughs> and I think, oh, here's one final, um, this is one final lecture. Bridge over troubled, troubled water, water played on, most importantly, a Shigeru Kawai piano. All 140,000 euros of it, or dollars, mm. or pretty, pretty much the same thing, isn't it? Mm. Pounds as well, actually, these days. Have you noticed how nobody mentions Steinway anymore? We'll get on to that. Mm. So, uh, all that and more, we have to have adverts to pay for this. Uh, so, here are some adverts. Bring it on! Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. So uh, the, first, the first thing I thought we might talk about was... Um, Actually, where we're up to with the ENO, because over the, on the website over the last few weeks, there have been quite a few stories. I'm thinking November the 29th, the death of the ENO has been long postponed. Uh, November the 27th, previous to that, arts chiefs say UK will lose status after ENO shut. And finally, rather impressively and football orientatedly, an English opera lesson from Jude Bellingham referring to the brilliant uh, teenage Birmingham midfielder who is scoring goals for England. Hey, mm-hmm. so t- tell me, what, what's your understanding of you know, you know, is this is this going to change? What's what the Arts Council decided some four weeks ago? There is a process going on, not in the Kafkaesque sense, although possibly some of Pop-tess. it is some of it is Kafkaesque, yeah. Um, in which the Arts Council have delivered an edict that uh, English National Opera has got to get out of town or they're dead. Right. And English National Opera is saying, no, 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 we want to stay alive. And a, a, lot of, um, a lot of supporters, especially singers, are um, doing their best to rally support for the company. And um, some of them are actually hurling abuse at a few independent commentators, of whom I'm one, said that actually in English National Opera cannot continue in its present form. The facts are there on paper. They've been getting a 55% audience season after season. 
That's unsustainable. Mm. English National Opera cannot continue in its present form or in its present um, premises. So something drastic has got to change. The Arts Council has set the debate rolling, and it's going to roll for a little while, and there will be, at the end of it, some kind of English compromise, English National Compromise. Right. But we'll call it in future the ENC. Um, <laughs> English National Compromise. Mm. Within <laughs> all of this... Be, obviously, there's some words to Gilbert and Sullivan mm. operas that could be... What Gilbert and Sullivan operas, that's what they're about. That's pretty much all they're doing at the moment. Yeah. Um, apart from a one-off concert uh, of um, Britain's Gloriana, which doesn't get seen very often, and right. they only showed it once because that's all they could afford to do. Mm. And it was in a concert, it was a, in a concert performance rather than a staging. Yeah. Um, look, there, there, there is much heartache and heartbreak about it because clearly whether it is discontinued in London or moves someone else, uh, people in the orchestra and in the chorus are going to lose their jobs and singers are going to lose opportunities and the whole field of opera is being drastically, radically shrunk. Uh, by an arts council which is caught between a rock and a hard place. The rock is the government saying, get 15% of your funding out of London. And uh, the hard place are the realities of where the audience is going and where it's not going. Well, they've never honestly gone to opera in sufficient numbers to make the thing pay for itself. Within all of this, and you hear it here first... Um, it is my understanding that the chief executive of the Arts Council, Darren Henley, has been sniffing around for a new job. And the new job would be head of BBC's Radio 3. He is being seriously considered for that job. Wow. Exactly. And he comes to it with perfect experience because before the Arts Council, he ran Classic, Classic FM. FM and at the Arts Council, he has been demolishing opera companies and orchestras. And the highest priority on the BBC's agenda is to demolish a couple of orchestras. So he is, at the moment, in pole position to be the new head of Radio 3. Do you think you this announcement it? will help him or hinder him? Us saying this on this podcast, will he... He, you know, his, his thunder, thunder has been stolen. I am completely neutral about that. <laughs> we present information unadorned, but that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, but um, do you, your, your position is pretty much the same as then? You're not heartened it's by It's unsustainable the... in its present form. Right. No, I'm not. I'm, 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 heartened I'm, by all I'm, that inner support. I'm, 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 I'm innocently heartened by, by all the support. I don't think all the support is going to make a blind bit of difference. Yeah. Um, it is, it is no. very sad that it's come to this, yeah. but it has been mismanaged so badly and for so long right. that some new formula is required. Yep. Something needs to replace it. There has to be new activity within that sphere. There has to be new investment within opera in England. But your point, I think, was in the Jude Bellingham story uh, mm. that um, there is nowhere to offer returning young pros a gig. Absolute, it's an absolute disaster. We train them in the conservatories, they come out of the conservatory and they have no place where they can go in order to get professional experience unless they go into the Glyndebourne Chorus or into one of the other summer opera choruses and then by luck or by chance a soloist falls sick and uh, and they get an opportunity. So instead they're going to Germany and they're coming back from Germany and there's still nowhere for them to sing. Yeah, And we have we have a real problem of provision. It's something the Arts Council have not addressed. It's something the opera industry hasn't addressed. And we actually need to sit down and have a serious, dare I say it, grown-up 
conversation about the rebuilding of opera in this country from the grassroots up. Mm. Well, uh, if you are mystified by the idea that, you know, this guy, Jude Bellingham, is a brilliant footballer, somehow has got involved in our discussion, go back to the website and all will be revealed. Jude Bellingham, baritone. Absolutely. Next one. Okay, listen to this. Tumultuous applause. Probably similar to the 30 minutes of cheering for Vienna's first new Meister singer in 47 years, in which got her a standing ovation. And uh, the reason why um, I'm thinking about that, I also thought our previous discussion, which was about booing, has set off a tsunami of comments on the website. We talked about booing last time and about, you know, how do we ever booed? Was it a right thing to boo? And uh, you're, you're a... Your headline was, who boos? Let's name and shame them. Really? We're not really going to shame them, are we? But oh, are, yeah. are we? No, We're going to find out who boos. Can, you, yeah. you. you. What's your name? You, you there. Yeah. yeah. Row four. Yeah. Boy in row three. Come see me after. <laughs> well, people have responded massively to that. Uh, I'll just read out some of the comments. Paul Dawson on November the 4th. Booing at the curtain call seems to me to be perfectly legitimate. It's something of a nuclear option and should be deployed only in extremists. Booing during the performance is an utter disgrace and merits ejection and banning from the house, so hauled out. Then people have responded, as long as booing is under examination, this is the interesting part, when can we take a fresh look at standing ovations? These used to be saved for truly exceptional performances. Now they're de rigueur. Practically every time any performing body gets the final cadence of a beloved warhorse. And Hugo Price, I admire Hugo Price because he's maintained his etsec which is that German B thing, which mm. is says, in the United States, I've endured standing ovations after just about every performance I attended to the point of it almost being meaningless. Absolutely. He also attends concerts in Germany and says subsequently that only four performances he can ever remember in 50 years of going to concerts have ever received standing O's. Mm. Um, and actually, I was talking about this with, with an actor, a friend of mine, who, whose name I would drop, but I won't, basically saying there is... a the booing, there's the booing thing, but on the other side is the standing O and how that has got into to a point of ubiquity yeah. in America. Yeah. Everybody stands up always. It's like everybody gets a five star for their review. What is the point of the review? Yes. Um, and also there was a sort of, sort of a, a political one-upmanship about the standing O. I'm standing because I recognise how brilliant this thing is. You, you fool, don't. And the other thing is, of course, how can you stay sitting if everybody else is standing? Because you can't see what's going on anymore. Yep. So there's a few things about the standing O. I don't know. Have you ever stand, have you standingly ovated anybody recently? Uh, not recently, no. But I can, I can tell you, and this is a dark secret, um, the reason the popularity of the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam, everybody says it has wonderful acoustics, that's as may be. But the reason for its tremendous popularity is that everybody gets a standing ovation there. And that's because the uh, gap between seats is very narrow and the Dutch have longer than average legs. <laughs> so as soon as the piece is over, all the Dutch jump to their feet and groan, or it may sound more like a cheer. And so every artist, good or bad, gets a standing ovation at the Concertgebouw. And I think we should give a, 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 an ovation to the Concertgebouw for that. They well, deserve it. That, of course, happened in the Messiah, what I went to, uh, mm -hmm. for Hallelujah Chorus when we got up. And I would have said, you know, after two and a half hours singing, it's the only way to restore blood flow to your legs. So mm. similar thing. But I don't know. Um, 
is it that that whole ubiquity thing in in America? Everybody stands up. It's it's, conformity, isn't it? I mean, really? Yes, yes. You know what we don't see enough of yeah. is external booing. I'd like to see more people boo buildings, like, for instance, the Opera House in Cologne, which is horrible. Right. Or even the Deutsche Oper Berlin. I mean, it is a disaster of a building. We really ought to organise people to come outside and go boo at the building. And there was one instance of it this week at La Scala, at, La, at the Teatro La Scala Milano, which, of course, opens its season every year on December the 7th, the anniversary of St. Ambrose. And it was going to open this year with, indeed, it did open this year with Boris Godunov. Right. An organized boo. And at 8.15 in the morning, demonstrators gathered outside yes. to boo the building, and they paintballed it. Yeah. They threw splashes of paint all over it in the interests of climate extinction, or whatever the reverse of climate extinction is. Right. Yes. And they were about to go off and have a quiet cup of coffee. Cappuccino. When... Get with the programme. Yes. Espresso, surely. Probably <laughs> <laughs> had a couple before. Macchiato. But it was, all, it was all cleaned up at nine, wasn't it? Well, this is what they weren't expecting. You know, in your day and mine, a self-respecting activist didn't get out of bed until noon. But these people, they were there at 8.15 in the morning. What they weren't expecting was that the carabinieri, who themselves don't get out of bed before noon, were there waiting for them. Some and bit, five of them... It, it's an opera. It's an opera plot in itself. Exactly. Five of them were arrested, and you know they had their macchiato in the clink. <laughs> well, I'm sure they were out by lunchtime because you know it's Italy, and that's that's a, that's a minor. It is. It is. They were probably but, so they were bunging the clink for not wearing you know coordinated clothing more likely. Demonstrating against buildings. We need to see more of that. Well, somebody actually did Bad say... Bad architecture. Somebody said that I think booing should be, you know, more general, you know, a player fluffs a solo, boo. I can't remember who it was actually, mm. but that was one of the comments. And forgive me for not remembering your name. But, um, <laughs> and, and, and saying, you know, yeah, we should boo more often, actually, not less. I think it was tongue-in-cheek. Tongue but, um, okay, well, there is booing, but the corollary mm. is the standing O. I got a standing ovation only only last week in Germany. I'm expecting more of the same. It's such a rousing mm. show. It's Where a, was it in Germany? It was in Braunschweig, and we're going to uh, Stade and Gelsenkirchen and a few other places. Mm. Check out my website for the details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, so here is, um, this is a story about uh, Mikhail Pletnev, mm. whose piano, which is a uh, Shigeru Kawai, costs $140,000, actually. It was said, actually, in fact, it's euros. Mm. That's what it costs, apparently, according to their website. It's the same thing, pretty much. Um, but you, won, you mused whether anybody else was playing Kawai pianos. This is, again, for them that missed the opening, of course you couldn't, but here it is, the Shigeru Kawai in Bridge Over Troubled Water. Mm. 
go, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over to Water. Um, actually, I'm moved by that because uh, it's a beautiful tune. Um, mm. Let me just tell you about Shigeru Kawai's. Uh, it's a luxury brand name for the handcrafted kawaii grand piano because you get the, the cheap ones, really, mm. uh, which are kind of, shoot me dead, lower, lower Yamaha pianos at the upright level mm-hmm. and then you get these kind of you get obviously they have various types of grands and then you get to the very top of the chain which is the shiguru kawaii which is a handmade instrument and uh, basically you know it was produced by shiguru kawaii after his father koichi who founded the company passed away he decided right i'm going to make the ultimate piano the memorial piano but sort of thing. And you ask who, who plays them. Uh, Earl Wilde. Do you remember that name? Yes. Brilliant. Super, yes. Brilliant American pianist. Who else? Anyone else? Well, I'm afraid to say that's where... <laughs> <laughs> that's where the stream runs dry. Right. It, it is... In, in, there are reasons. Mm. Dina Yoffe, I must not my artistic yes. director of the International Music Festival of Malaga. Mm-hmm. Okay, who knew? Mm-hmm. Alexander Gajivev which is an Italian-Slovenian pianist. I had to look him up. Former BBC New Generation artist, so obviously very good. And Hyuk Lee, who's 22-year-old, and he he's born in Korea, so presumably... We will hear more the, of him. He knows mm. the Kauai mm. family. Right. Um, but not many is the answer to that. Um, there is a trend here. Yeah. And, and the trend is for some really well-known pianists who are now turning to quite esoteric brands. Yeah. Um, and... Pliatnev, who's you know one of the great pianists of his generation, yeah. is doing kawais. Uh, Peter Donohoe, who was a joint winner of the Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow some well, years Peter, back. Don, Don Oho, as Don, I heard him pronounce Don Oho, on German yes. radio. Yes. yes. <laughs> Don Oho. Who plays, um, let me get this right, it's a Steingreber from really? somewhere in Bavaria. Yes, yes which has an absolutely lovely sound. And then there are a lot of others who are taking to Fazioli's, yes. which are also their handmade Italian jobs. Let me play you a and, Fazioli. Let me play mm. you a Fazioli. Fazioli, by the way, uh, if you're thinking about one, it also costs 128 to £234,000. And is, there's a waiting list. Of course, because they only make about yes. three a year. Yes. This is, of course, Liszt, third, Liebestraum. Hmm. Don't shoot the piano tuner. Steinway, Steinway, you think is uh, is on is on the way? Well, out. I mean, they were they were the behemoth, and they were the 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 default piano for most leading artists. But yeah. many leading artists are now saying, "We're diverse. We're pluralistic. Yeah, we don't need Steinway anymore. We're going to try something you maybe haven't heard of." And does it make that much of a difference? Fazioli makes a difference. I can definitely tell a Fazioli from, from a Steinway. Right. And I'm just going to have to get used to the kawaii's. Well, the, handmade, the thing about this is handmade instruments are, mm. of course, in a league of their own. The stuff mm. that you know, the average punter buys, mm. which is made, you know, churned out in the factories, is it's a machine-made instrument. It's not the same. It, you know, they're pretty ropey, relatively. Relatively. Yes. Mim- yes. Um, I have got a Bechstein, which, uh, an upright, which I absolutely love. And I've also got a Yamaha Grand, which has been super bright ever since I've had it. So I think you can fall in, love, fall, fall in or love, in or out or love with these sounds. People who make stringed instruments are called luthiers. Yes. What do we call people who make pianos? Pianiers. Panniers. Panniers. How about <laughs> bluteniers? <laughs> Listen, your suggestions, please, on the website. And in case you've forgotten the crisp sound through 
of, of devices we're playing this through of a Steinway. Here is one. All right, okay, so that's, uh, the, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, if you're a pianist, of course, it, you zone in on that. A lot of people play the piano, or at least have played the piano. Or I've got a piano somewhere, even if it's covered in stuff that they, makes it un, unplayable. But um, that's what caught my ear. Can we talk about Julian Anderson and the Gravenmeyer? Yeah, please. Because uh, not many people have heard about the Gravenmeyer anymore. Once upon a time, it was a really, really, really big deal. It was right. the biggest prize in composing. Yeah. And... Harrison Bertwistle, who won it one year, said to me, it was the first time he'd ever seen real money in his life. Really? It was $150,000 in those days. Yeah. But uh, I think something went wrong with the investments because it was a bequest by, lost about a by of it, the late they? Mr. Gravemeyer. Yeah. And it's now down to just a mere $100,000. That's not to be said. It'll buy you it, the beginnings of a Steinway. <laughs> buy a leg of a it's, you, you can get a leg have, of a Steinway you'd still have to get no you get you get most of a Shiguru Kawai piano there you go and as a result it's the sheen uh, has gone off it as we say in the piano trade yeah and it barely gets reported anymore and this is really rather sad because it still is even at a hundred thousand dollars it's still the biggest sum of money a composer will ever see in his or her life. Now, I don't know what Julian Anderson's going to do with it. Maybe he'll just get a holiday right. or um, a new car or something. But um, it is nice to know that somebody still cares about composers, and they do mostly live a hard life unless they're writing for film or television. And um, we must find better ways of sustaining them than the shrinking investment funds of late American philanthropists. Okay, finally, a story on the 8th of December, Frank Sinatra's oboe has died, which I thought was a euphemism, but it turns out what you meant was the guy who played... <laughs> the guy who played on one Sinatra number, probably more, but his name was Gene Cipriano, died at the age of 94, and it led me to do a little bit of research into... Uh, you know, Gene Cipriano, and find out he was the man in Los Angeles. Uh, he played on a zillion uh, albums, he played on movies, he played uh, every year in the Academy Awards Orchestra for 58 years he played it. Anyway, this is, he was playing, he's playing oboe on this. Now he, he played sax, he played clarinet, he played flute, which, which basically a lot of people do because the fingering is pretty much the same. But the oboe is a double reed instrument, puts you in a different category. Here is, is strutting his stuff, just very briefly, but on the top of, on the beginning of an iconic recording with Frank Sinatra. Well, that's Frank Sinatra in a very good year. Every year was a very good year, according to Frank Sinatra. But you were sort of rejoicing at that. You, it was almost like a lap round the uh, round our little room here. It's wonderful. It two great artists performing together, and the other one was Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and 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 Sip, who was, you know, in Los Angeles, they would say, "You want an oboe? You got a sip." Yeah. And he could play practically any woodwind instrument and wind instrument. And he was truly a great artist. And Sinatra, um, in some way, 
almost redefined himself against Sip because um, there's another clip that I put on the site of Sinatra talking about himself during the session, during the recording sessions for this particular track. Yeah. In which he says, people, people will say I'm a crooner. I'm not a crooner. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a singer. Yeah, I just, I, they, I got mixed up. Uh, what, is the what is the difference between a crooner and a singer? And he, he kind of gave a sort of weird definition, which I didn't yeah. quite pick up on. Well, that clip is on but the website. Have a look at me, that. Yeah, exactly. I'm a real artist. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not an entertainer. I, I like to work with people like Sip, where we can just take music to another height, another dimension. And trust me, it was not easy being an oboe in Los Angeles, because if you said you're a hobo, they thought you'd ridden in on the railroads <laughs> underneath the tracks. Well, I and, have to say, uh, Sinatra's definition, obviously a crooner was, was, a, was a derogatory term. Mm. It was a pejorative term. That's what and, I mean, whereas an oboe Little voice, he's just got a little voice. I've got a bigger voice, and that's basically what he was saying. Mm. Um, but he, that, those recordings, by the way, I looked him up, was, were arranged and conducted by Gordon Jenkins, who passed away in 1984, and he... He basically made all those arrangements, and he's on that clip you talk about mm. conducting. He's got a very interesting conducting style. He kind of conducts pretty much with his left hand while looking at Frank Sinatra, you know, in the eye, <laughs> because he knew where the, he knew on what side his bread was buttered. Um, but he he made zillions of arrangements for people like the Andrews sisters, Johnny Cash, the Weavers, Frank Sinatra, Louis Armstrong, Judy Garner. Like it, it he's those two people. It was from a golden age. It was of 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 studio um, uh, musicians in LA. And there was no differentiation in LA at that time as to whether you played in the symphony or when you played in the studios or whether you did backing for Sinatra. Yeah, the the the, the Slatkins who parents of Leonard Slatkin, who had their own string quartet there, they did backing for Sinatra. It was an honour. Yeah. They were all musicians together. There were none of these horrible little categories. We're also known for that in the UK because British musicians are brilliant sight readers. These guys, of course, they have to be out in LA because that's mm. what they're doing as well. But, uh, you know, it's famous that a British orchestra can turn their hand to pretty much anything and turn out a brilliant performance. That's the kind of criticism as well because they would... People like Rattle would say that British musicians, it never gets better. You know, it's pretty much, you can improve certain corners mm. of it, but the sound you get at the end of the three rehearsal process is the same you pretty much had at the beginning. Whereas, Paul, McCart Paul McCartney, who used to live up the road from here, right. uh, could still reel off the names of the orchestral players, the session musicians who would come in and play on Beatles tracks. Well, here's an interesting thing, because another one of those session players played on Penny Lane, piccolo trumpet... Um, was a guy called David Mason. He was, he was teaching at the Royal College and he got a phone call and said, you know, will you come into Abbey Road Studios tonight? <laughs> I think it finished at like six in the morning and he played the famous piccolo trumpet solo on Penny Lane. Here it is. That is David Mason. And you know what? That little solo, which he kind of made up with, you know, Lennon and McCartney, Paul McCartney on the piano saying, can you play this? Uh, has now become a bit of an audition piece. Amongst <laughs> piccolo trumpeters. Fantastic. People thought originally that, you know, it's so brilliant, so virtuosic uh, and so in tune that it must be a B-flat trumpet speeded up. But no, it was him doing it because he, you know, brilliant musicianship just came with, uh, 
with the training. Well, George Martin, who was the Beatles producer, was had himself been an orchestral musician mm-hmm. and knew all the people around town. And, I mean, if we're going to stick to the theme, George Martin was an oboist. Well, there we go. Um, here is, um, this is something that I played at the beginning, if you were mystified that, this is the opening to Channel 4 News, again with a brilliant British brass soloist. <laughs> What's so brilliant about that? He, he's, he's sitting right on the beat. He's sitting almost lazily on the beat, which I absolutely love. That's a guy called Alan Handy, whom I actually met towards the end of his life. Um, and he was, Alan Handy was very much aware that he played the solo on a piece of music which was repeated every day on it's Channel fabulous. 4. Fabulous. And he was, he was really gutted that he actually, he didn't get, he got a buyout and didn't get uh, a royalty because obviously he'd be a very he had would have been a very rich man mm. by the way the piccolo trumpet on uh, Penny Lane uh, he uh, earned for that £27.10 shillings of course he, there's a lot of people that rue the fact that they didn't take a royalty they basically said no no this isn't going to be good enough I'll, I'll take the cash thank you very much and had they taken it they would have been millionaires yeah they could have bought themselves a kawaii <laughs> So I thought we'd close with um, is just listening to um, Sip playing one more time. This is the closing bit from um, It Was a Very Good Year. Can I just point out before I play that, listen to this, little clarinet moment in It's a Very Good Year. From fine old kegs From the brim if that's not from the first symphony, I don't know what it is. It is, and before that, it was from Lied Rheinis Fahrende Gesellen. Exactly. Oh, my yeah. gosh, you've beat me to a Mahler quote. Exactly. Rainer. There we go, five points, no conferring. <laughs> Hirsch from Ealing. Beats <laughs> Norman from St John's Grove. Where, where are we? Wood. Wood, St John's Wood. Sorry, I, just, I don't come up here except to see you, and I, you know, I have to ask directions every single time, and people look at me askance. So this is... Us saying goodbye for another week. Oh, um, no. Yeah. And I want to say thanks to you. I'm Rainer. I'm Norman. And this has been Back Chat. We look forward to you reading your comments, of course, on the website. And here is Gene Cipriano in his pomp with Frank Sinatra. It was a very good year. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.